Welcome to the 380th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Michelle Cox, author of the novel A Child Lost, book five in the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michelle Cox. Michelle's latest novel is A Child Lost, which is the fifth novel in the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your novel, A Child Lost Yet, how would you describe the novel? That's a good question. I would say it, the whole series is, uh, I describe it as Downton Abbey meets Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. So you've got a big historical fiction bent. There's definitely mystery and there's definitely a little bit of romance. And there is the haves and have nots that we have during the Great Depression. So it's a it's a mixed bag, a genre blend, and a child loss in particular kind of goes a little bit on the darker side from some of the previous books in the series. We, Clive and Henrietta, the two protagonists, venture into Dunning Asylum, which was an actual real mental institution on the northwest side of Chicago. So there's a that there's a lot that comes into play there. Great. For someone who may not have read your series yet, can you tell us about the main characters in your series, Henrietta and Inspector Howard? Sure. So Henrietta, just as a quick aside, is actually based on a real woman that I met in a nursing home when I worked in on the northwest side of Chicago in the early 90s. And she was a real spitfire of a woman and she had this incredible life in the 30s and 40s in Chicago and she would follow me around and tell me all of these stories about her her past and she would say that she was a bombshell in Chicago that she had a man stopping body and a personality to go with it <laughs> I know so even then I thought wow that'd be great in a novel. So here we are years later. And I did use that woman, many of her stories to create the character of Henrietta, 
So a lot of what happens in the first book of the series, which is A Girl Like You, actually did happen. There are many things in there. Of course, I had to create a murder and the inspector and all of that. But her job at the burlesque house and the lesbian gang that kind of protects her and the neighborhood boys, all of that is from real life. So we have Henrietta, who is this impoverished girl living in Chicago. Her father's committed suicide and her mother is chronically depressed. And she it's up to her as the oldest to be the breadwinner. So she's out there hustling all the time. And she takes a job as a, a taxi dancer which was a step up first, yeah, step up from uh, prostitution. And she dances with men for a diamond dance. That's what a taxi dancer was. And pretty soon the matron turns up murdered. Inspector Clive Howard shows up on the scene and he quickly decides that he could use this girl because of her beauty to go undercover for him to hopefully catch a bigger ring of crime. So it proceeds from there. She takes the job because she's poor, desperate, and she gets a little bit attracted to him. And it goes from from there. And of course, as the series goes along, there's so many more plot lines that are going on at the same time that jump from book to book. That's been fun to develop too. Great. Do you remember the original idea that led you to write A Child Lost, the latest novel in this series? That's... Uh, tricky. <laughs> That's a tricky question. Because the books, they're not completely standalone, although people do read them as standalones. But the character arcs continue from book to book. So in A Child Lost, I, I, we have the the main plot line of Clive and Henrietta running, but we also have this plot line of her younger sister, Elsie, and a German immigrant, Gunther, going at the same time. So book four ends with this mysterious little girl showing up in Elsie and Gunther's life. And I knew I needed to carry that story on, explain to the readers who this little girl is. I leave it as a cliffhanger. You don't really know at the end of book four, she pops up as a surprise. That was definitely what I had in mind going forward with this book. And a child lost her. So there's many references to lost children in this book. I, I, For spoiler reasons, I won't go into all of them. Clive and Henrietta have a situation. Elsie and Gunther have a child. And then another set of minor characters are also dealing with a type of lost child. So I was trying to tie all of these together when I started the book. Your series is set in Chicago in the period between the two world wars. What about that time period appealed to you? Ha, that's a good question. First of all, and to be perfectly honest, my my true love was the 40s. I loved everything about the 40s. But because I was basing, when I started this series, I didn't realize it was a series. I thought I was just writing a one-off. And I wanted to write a mystery and I wanted to write about this woman in the nursing home. But most of her experiences were in the 30s. And I loved the detail that she told me about working at the Chicago World's Fair in 1933. And I about how she dressed up as a Dutch girl every day and passed out flyers for a Dutch rubber company. And she told me all about the fair and what she would do on her lunch breaks. And I just loved that detail so much that I thought, you know what, I'm just going to set this book in the 30s. But then it turned into a series. So 
uh, then I had to scramble and learn a lot more about the 30s, which actually was fun. And I'm glad I did it now because there are so many books already that are set in the 40s. And now with like the Downton Abbey thing, you've got a lot of World War One stuff coming out. And I thought this is perfect because it's that era that has been forgotten. There's not a lot out there talking about that besides like mobster stuff. And I didn't really want to do that either. So I think it it fits really well. So are there other time periods or historical events in Chicago that you would like to write about eventually? Oh, I'm not sure. It would be great to move the series into the 40s, but every book only covers about three months of time. So it's going to be a while before I would hit the 40s. I do love the Victorian era. I think it would be neat to write something about that time period, but I don't know where exactly I would set it. So that's to be determined. I have written two other standalone books and that are not connected with the series and currently trying to shop around. And those are both also set in the thirties in Chicago. So I guess I'm stuck there now. (laughs) (laughs) What are your earliest memories of reading in books? Oh, wow. I was a huge reader. I loved, I loved the little house on the prairie. I loved the Anne of Green Gables series, the happy Hollisters, Trixie Belden. And especially I loved Louise May Alcott books. I read those about, I don't know, a million times. And I would try to write like little fan fiction before I knew what fan fiction was from her stories, but they were so terrible that I just started to try to illustrate them instead. And that was a fun little thing. And of its own. And so what was your path to writing and and publishing? How did you write and publish your and get your first novel published? Had you always wanted to be a writer? No, not really, to be honest. I guess maybe, but I was too afraid to be a writer. So when in high school, I was thinking, should I maybe pursue the writing path? Or should I go into be a pre-med, which I loved science and I, I loved the idea of being a doctor. So I thought that a doctor sounded easier, to be honest, than writing a book. And turns out it's true. No, just kidding. I, yeah, I, in college, I finally decided I couldn't hide from uh, writing anymore. So after two years, I switched from a bio major to a lit major. Notice it still wasn't creative writing. And then I ended up getting married, having kids. I was a stay-at-home mom. And It wasn't until maybe 2012, 2013, I had a big chunk of time open up. My oldest was diagnosed with ADHD and I quit all of my volunteer stuff and all of my committees and that I had been on. And I suddenly had this glut of time. So I thought, you know what, you can either go back to writing, you could get a job, or you could maybe try to write this novel that you secretly always wonder. And it was it was time. It was my time. I was ready. I was confident enough to at least start it. I had no concept of getting it published. That was That's really the truth. It was more just a matter of me seeing if I could challenge myself to sit in a chair long enough every day to produce a novel. And it took about a year. I did it. And I then I gave it out to friends and they loved it. And they said, why don't you try to get this published? And I don't know anything about that. So they said, we should try. So I spent about a year trying to get it published, trying to get an agent. And that 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Went nowhere. I submitted it finally to She Writes Press out of Berkeley. And initially they took it, they read part of it, they said they loved it, they would take it. But uh, then <laughs> when they found it, it was 240,000 words. So they said, <laughs> no, we're not going to take this. I said, well, what about this mystery novel that I've been working on? And they said, we'll send that over. And uh, that was A Girl Like You, the first book of the series. And they said, yeah, we'll take this. And that was the start. So tell me about the 240,000 word <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. You know what? I, I had to Google. I don't tell a lot of people this, but I, ha- I had to Google how to write a novel. <laughs> so that's how I learned to write a novel is looking at things on Google. And I, it was another space on another story from the nursing home. I, I write this blog just as a quick aside called Novel Notes of Local Lore comes out every week. And it's basically a story a week from the nursing home. True stories. It has its own um, following. People love these stories because they're just so real life and real people. And I tell writing groups all the time, if you're stuck for any idea, just go sit in a nursing home for two weeks and you'll have more stories than you could ever use. So it was one of those stories, but I it was a more of a coming of age story. It was about a, a woman who was, I think it was her mother was going blind. This is true. Her mother was going blind. The dad died and she had a mentally handicapped younger sister. And so it, it's the story of her parents die and yet she's got to make some kind of living. And yet she has this poor sister to take care of. And that was her a real her real struggle in life. And so it was a book based on how she dealt with that. But people ask me <laughs> who have read it, if I'm ever going to do anything with it now that I have a little bit of traction. And unfortunately, I've stolen a lot of those characters <laughs> and put them in the series. So I don't know, I'd have to really rework it. So given your success to date with five books in this series, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? I would say that you have to be very disciplined. It's like in writing to working out. Nobody wants to do that every day, but it, it, unless you you commit to that, unless you write every single day, it, it's hard to get anywhere, especially if you have, like most people, a, a life going on at the same time. But I just think it's really important to carve out that time. And even if what you write gets erased the next day, you're still building that discipline. Nobody feels like working out, but you have to make yourself do it. So that's my biggest advice. Sure. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Wow. I I love Beatrice Williams, I have to say, and Lauren Willig. So those are always my two faves. I'm reading one of... reading Tiny Little Things right now by Beatrice Williams. I don't read, to be honest, a ton of nonfiction, but I did pick up Linda Gartz's Redlined, which is her memoir about growing up in the 50s and 60s in Chicago and the policy of redlining that existed. So it was fascinating, but an easy read. I was surprised. Sounds great. 
Great. Where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? MichelleCoxWrites.com is my website. And you can go there and find all the links to all the social media platforms. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and all of those. Sign up for my newsletter because... I have huge giveaways every couple of months for newsletter subscribers only. So this past month, I gave away an iPad, an autographed set of my books, a $50 Amazon gift card, and I don't know, there was something else that I threw in the, the prize pack too. So they're huge giveaways, but those are only for subscribers only. So check that out and check out the whole series is on audio. Great. And are you working on another novel now? I am. I am working on, I'm shopping a novel called The Love You Take. Like I said, it's set in the 30s in Chicago. And I'm on the second draft, I'd say, of another novel, which right now the working title is called Prodigal. It's, again, based on a, a real story. It spans, starts in the 20s and goes all the way up to the 80s. Starts out in southern Iowa in migrates to Chicago. So that's my current project. Well, again, we've been speaking with Michelle Cox, author of A Child Lost, the fifth novel in the Henrietta and Spectre Howard series. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Michelle, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks very much for having me. And now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of A Child Lost, a Henrietta and Inspector Howard novel by Michelle Cox, and narrated by Jane Entwistle. Well, as it turns out, I found a case as well. It's a missing persons case, and it's very interesting, Clive. Clive groaned internally. This must be what Elsie had called about for help. It explained Henrietta's chipper mood upon returning from the visit. He so badly wanted to make a sarcastic comment about it being a missing college student who would undoubtedly turn up in a couple of days, having successfully slept off a particularly bad bout of drunkenness. But he managed to resist the temptation. Oh, he said with passing sincerity. Yes, Henrietta went on enthusiastically. It seems Elsie has gotten involved with the custodian at Mundelein, who finds himself in a bit of trouble. What do you mean, involved? Please tell me you don't mean romantically, he said with a sigh. What was it about Elsie that seemed to attract these rather precarious predicaments, he wondered. Granted, she appeared to have lost quite a bit of weight from the time he had first met her, but she still had a large build, so unlike Henrietta's. They looked nothing alike. And since Agatha Exley had gotten a hold of Elsie, she had certainly smartened up. Her clothes were stylish now, and with the way she did her hair these days, she could almost pass for pretty in a certain way. So why did she seem to always be a target for men who wished her harm? He supposed it was either the lure of the Exley money or the prospect of an easy conquest, as Elsie practically oozed naivete and gullibility. It made sense that she was constantly being taken advantage of. Though he hated to admit it, Clive, like Aldrich Exley, had hoped that by Elsie attending Mundelein, there would be an end to such affairs. But apparently not. He was learning that nothing about Henrietta's family was predictable, except 
that they were unpredictable. Well, it may have strayed in that direction, Henrietta answered, but that's not the trouble, at least not yet, if I can help it. I beg to differ, but go on, enlighten me. Henrietta then proceeded to share the whole long story regarding Gunther and Liesel and Anna, though she was not as clear on how Elsie had gotten mixed up in it all. It's obvious, though, that there's been some sort of miscommunication. The poor man has been working at Mundelein College, looking for this Liesel woman, who all the while has been somewhere in Mundelein, Illinois. Hmm, most likely the seminary out there. You know it? Henrietta asked eagerly. No, of it, never actually been there, he said with a tilt of his head. Not ever having the calling, shall we say, to become a priest. Well, perhaps we could go and check it out, see if we can find her. What do you think? Clive paused, thinking. Four years was a long time not to have heard any news, and he unfortunately did not share Henrietta's optimism that this woman might still be there. More than anything else, this had the flavor of someone who didn't want to be found. Yet he hated to dampen her spirits. I suppose we could, he said slowly, rubbing his chin. But I'm not sure finding this Liesel is going to help matters. Seems to me this Gunther has more of a problem of what to do with the child. Oddly, that's what my mother said, and Gunther agreed, poor man. You've met him? Clive asked, intrigued. Yes, he was at the Palmer Square house when I went today. Elsie brought him along. What's he like? Seem on the level? Yes, actually, he's rather nice. He speaks English very well. He was a teacher or a professor or something in Germany. Clive let out a deep breath. A German. Of course it had to be a German, just to make things more unpleasant, Clive thought disgustedly. He took another drink of his brandy. He knew it was wrong to continue to have a prejudice against Germans as a whole, but it was difficult after everything he had been through in the war, all the atrocities he had witnessed. As a detective on the force in Chicago, however, he had many times had to look past many things he hadn't agreed with, and this was no different. He forced himself to put it in the background. Well, he said, clearing his throat, it seems we have our day planned out for us. So we're going to do it? Henrietta asked excitedly. We're actually going to look for her? Why not, Clive said, unable to deny her and hopeful that she might finally be on the mend. But what about this other case, the spiritualist case, Henrietta asked. Are you going to take that one as well? That's up to you. It's your agency, Henrietta said, looking up at him. No, it's our agency, Clive corrected her. A smile crossed Henrietta's face. Well, I suppose we shouldn't let Frank down, she said thoughtfully. Should we? No, he replied, wondering if she were teasing him. Indeed not. I'm not sure it will really lead to anything, but I think he really needs us, don't you? She asked innocently. As much as he had been trying to hold back from touching her with any degree of intimacy these past weeks, 
Clive could not help but reach out and stroke her cheek with the back of his finger. Must we talk of Davis, he said, his voice thick. He was finding it hard to control his rising desire for her. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.